Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be here, just not on Sunday mornings, that we can use this facility all during the week, whether it's Monday night, most excellent way, Tuesday men's study, Wednesday night midweek study, grief share, Bible study classes, men's prayer, men's breakfasts, youth events, all these things taking place. And Lord, we don't want to just be busy. We want to just grow in our love for you and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to grow as a, f- a family. You know, we want to have fellowship because the world can be so difficult out there and we feel isolated. We feel, um, Lord, um, that as we feel the pressures of the world coming against us. So it is uh, wonderful to be here in this place for us to gather here at different times and during the week and on Sunday and uh, morning as we're going through Luke's gospel. And I thank you that we're here tonight. And I pray that you'd bless your pe- people and Lord, just speak to our hearts. I know that some of us come in with hearts that are heavy or maybe just being tired of the day. Maybe some have been up since early morning and been at work, and they've chosen to be here. And I know that that blesses you. And I know that, it, that as they desire to, to learn of you and honor you with their lives, and Lord, I just pray for a special touch of grace tonight. For those who've made the effort and expended the energy to be here, listening to us on live stream, whatever way, and and those who can be here. So I pray that tonight would be a night where you speak to our hearts as we go through these verses and teaching us about your wisdom and how to live that abundant life and good life that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So chapter 14, Proverbs, remember the book of wisdom given to us. And you can spend a lifetime studying Proverbs and going through these verses. Um, Remember that this section of particularly Proverbs, these chapters, and the next several chapters, uh, until we get towards the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs has 31 chapters, that we're going to see that every verse is a, a proverb. Every verse has a contrasting thought or a comparing thought is what scholars call. And that is the blessing and the benefits of walking in wisdom and uh, wanting to pursue wisdom and knowledge and um, in all kinds of different ways and how we act and how we speak and uh, different areas of our lives that we're going to see very clearly here versus the, the folly of the fool, the one who acts wickedly, the one who ignores God's word, uh, the one who continues to uh, pursue that which is unrighteous and, and not true according to God. And there's consequences in that. And I think that it's interesting um, that as you look at the world's wisdom, keep in mind that there's the world's wisdom and then there's godly wisdom, God's truth. And all scripture is profitable, uh, given to us, is inspired by God, and it is profitable to us for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that every man may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as we go through this, these aren't just proverbs and nice sayings that, you know, that are philosophical. This is truth given to you and to me and how it is that we speak, how it is that we live, how it is that we do business, how it is that we treat others. 
And as we take these things to heart, then you're going to see that, that you're going to begin to experience the joy of the Lord. You're going to begin to experience, you know, the abundant life that the Lord has for us. And we saw last week that the way of a transgressor is hard. It really is. And in this world as a Christian, as we are living for the Lord and desiring to stand on the truth of God's word, yeah, the world's going to come against us and we'll feel isolated. And we know that the world doesn't agree with us and is screaming at us that the things that we believe as Christians is not true or, um, you know, it flies right in the face of what the world tells us how we should live and how we should think. But we know that this is truth given to us. And I hope and pray, I just, I'm so blessed as people come out on Wednesday nights to go through the scriptures and through the Old Testament and through the Proverbs here, desiring to gain wisdom. And, and may we just take these things and Lord, help us to apply it in our lives. Because as we do, then we're going to experience your blessing and your goodness. And, and we're going to experience that abundant life that you have for us. Yeah, the way of transgressor is hard. And the Lord says, this is how I want you to live in different areas of your life. How you conduct yourself and your behavior and how you speak to others. Because it's going to be a blessing, not only to you, but you're going to be a blessing to others. So let's look at this as we ended at verse 4 of chapter 14. Verse 5 tells us that a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. And we know that a false witness will utter lies. And we are told in the ninth commandment that we're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. Lies do so much damage to people's lives. And maybe you've been the victim or on the end of somebody who's come along and gossiped against you or slandered you or lied about you. And you felt that hurt. And you know uh, that it can damage your reputation. It can damage, you know, um, so much in, in somebody coming along and lying. And I pray for you and for me that none of us, that we would be false witnesses because we're angry at somebody or we want to get even with them. Well, they lied about me, so I'm going to lie about them. And as Christians, may we understand as we go through Proverbs here, it speaks a whole lot about what we say and how we say things. Whether we're going to build people up or we're going to tear them down. Of course, lying about somebody, even little lies. We may say something that, that we heard from somebody else and, and we pass that information on and it's a lie. We don't know that we're lying. So be careful when it involves gossip and, and putting somebody down and slander be careful that you're not passing that on because you don't know if you're bearing false witness against them because you're just hearing some juicy news about somebody. And so may we not bear false witness against anyone, but we are to be ones of truth. We are to be ones that we are to, um, you know, not be lying. We are to be ones that are to be the faithful witness um, and desiring to only speak truth um, in the things that we say. In verse 6, as we continue, a scoffer seeks wisdom but does not find it. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. So a scoffer really doesn't, in sincerity, look for wisdom. He only hears what he wants to hear or how he thinks it should be. You know, knowledge comes to, to, to one who wants to understand. So as we come here, 
And as we desire to, to read the Bible and go through these scriptures, you know, that we're going through these chapters, as we have our own devotions, it's not only just reading, it isn't just a duty, but it's real devotion in I want to know God's word. There's an attitude of heart that comes with it, right? It isn't just like a reading assignment that I got to get through this. I hope that our devotions, you know, are quiet times. And as we read the Bible, isn't that way. But Lord, I want to know wisdom. I need to know wisdom. I want to pursue that wisdom. And your word is that wisdom. A scoffer um, seeks wisdom. Here, Solomon is inspired by God, but he's being a little sarcastic here. He seeks wisdom, but he isn't going to find it. A scoffer who just scoffs, you know, at truth and at God's word. He thinks he's going to seek wisdom. He's not going to find it. And then in verse 7, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. You know, don't waste time and give a bunch of time to foolish people who are doing foolish things. You know, it does matter who we hang out with and who we're listening to. And if there are those who are speaking foolish things and perverse things and doing foolish things and perverse things and wicked things, then don't give time to it because it's going to hurt and it's going to bring you down and it's going to get you involved in foolish things or whatever it is that they're doing. So go from the presence of a foolish man. And when you do not perceive him, the lips of knowledge and the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit in verse eight. So a wise person is going to consider where he, you know, is at or the consequences of action. A fool isn't going to do it because we're going to see here in Proverbs that a fool is just going to act out of compulsion. You know, Uh, it's just going to act without thinking about the consequences There's consequences to the decisions that we make, and we know that, don't we? Matter of fact, there's a very important spiritual law that is given to us in Galatians chapter 6 as, you know, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, but whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow seeds to the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. In every decision that we make, we're casting seeds. There's going to be a crop that's going to come up the next day. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be consequences and repercussions and decisions that you make today. It's like what we talked about on Sunday when when Herod, you know, we talked about Herod. And he's very much um, bothered, perplexed. His conscience is really bothering him because of what he did to John the Baptist. And he goes and has this party, and uh, Herodias' daughter dances for him, and he, he's pickled because he's been drinking. He, he's under the influence of much wine. Whatever you want, have to, up to half of my kingdom, it's yours to have. I want the head of John the Baptist. And the next day, as we know that Herod had real affinity for John, respected him, was conversing with him, convicted by John, that his conscience bothered him. And you see, there's consequences for the decision that he made. And that's why we want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, is what the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with anything that's going to cause you not to be able to discern that which is good and, and, and between good and evil and that which is clean and unclean, that which is right, that which is wrong in the sight of God. 
But Lord, I want to make decisions and I want to sow seeds unto the Spirit because I know that there's going to be good things that are going to happen. So a wise person is really can consider the consequences of their actions, what they say, the decisions that they make, how they treat others, you know, in their behavior, where you hang out, you know, what you're doing, what you're involved in, all these things. Because whatever it is that we sow, there's where it is that we're going to be reaping something from it. And then in verse 9, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. When I... I think of this verse here the foolishness of the world that we see today really the world mocks sin we see that all around us matter of fact the world is telling you and I that we need to celebrate sin that we need to embrace it that it you know they're calling evil good is what we're seeing more and more in our society today but in this particular verse when when I think about it I think about even in those things that perhaps we don't always Consider the sitcoms that we watch, the comedies, you know, that make fun of, of adultery, make fun of, of drunkenness, that makes fun of sin, kind of snicker and laugh with it, you know, lying and, and kids lying to their parents, things like that. We can kind of mock sin in that way in that we laugh about it, Hollywood laughs about it, all these things, making jokes out of sin. We want to be careful with that. The commercials that tell us what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And, of course, that's kind of a little saying that people have. Well, you know, the commercial, the implication is you can come here to Vegas and let your hair down and, and get involved in carnality and sin. And what happens in Vegas? You know, your vacation stays in Vegas. They don't remind us. How many people go to Vegas and then they end up leaving, going out into the desert and committing suicide? Because they lost so much money. Or those who come home devastated by what it is that they did, that behind the lights and the glitter and all of that that's taken place there, that there's death and drugs and destruction and ruined lives. And I hope that we are far enough along in our walk with the Lord, that we don't let that stuff, you know, just, just enamor us. And we, you know, you know look at it and, and we're so drawn to it. Listen, I'm not a killjoy that you can't enjoy life. But be careful in those places and those environments that has the attitude of just kind of mocking sin and it's no big deal and getting involved with it. That we're smart enough to know that sin hurts people and it will hurt you if you get involved in it. So many broken lives. So many broken lives. Because of sin. Because of people getting involved in sin. And every single person that is in this room knows people that are hurting because of sin and the consequences of sin and going through devastating consequences and repercussions because of it. So we don't make a joke out of sin. We don't mock sin. We, we don't think it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Big enough of a deal that the Father sent His Son to die for us because it separated us from Him. That we can be forgiven and live for Him and then have you know the message to give to others that He came to take sin away. And we don't have to live in sin. 
So in verse 10, the heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. You know, as we go through either bitterness or we go through joy, I can't understand exactly what's in your heart. I can know somebody, I can have a relationship, I, I can have sympathy, empathy, uh, but I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know exactly the hurt you're going through. I don't know the confusion you're going through or maybe the joy that you feel, but the Lord does. He knows everything that you're going through. He knows you and your heart in the deepest recesses of your heart that's there that no one else sees. And he sees the joy that you have. And he sees the disappointments that you have as well. And that brings me comfort because, Lord, you know my heart. And I can, I can share my heart with, with those who are close to me, Sue, or my family, my kids, or those who are close to me in ministry. But they don't know exactly what's in my heart. But the Lord does. And as I share with him, I can say, Lord, you know my heart. You know my heart better than I do. Because you're not a stranger. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. And give your heart to the Lord because he knows what it is that you're going through. And then in verse 11, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. What it's telling us is just because somebody has a big house doesn't mean that things are good. We can go through the neighborhoods. I remember particularly when we we're young, we take the kids for a walk, and when they're little and pushing the uh, baby carriage and um, going to, taking a walk, we did that just about every evening, Sue and I and the kids. And, um, you know, I, I remember thinking the homes um, that, you know, behind those homes, I know that in some homes there's happiness and uh, things are good, but in other homes they're not. That there's real sadness and there's difficulties that are going on. And you see, just because somebody perhaps has a big home doesn't mean necessarily they're happy. Just because, you know, somebody has a little home doesn't mean that they're necessarily miserable. You see, it's what is the atmosphere of that home. And what he's telling us is, is what is important is whether you have a big house or a little house, whether you live in a brick house or you live in a tent. Whatever your home is, a townhouse, an apartment, uh, whether you're living in a trailer, whatever it might be, that is the peace of the Lord in that home. And the presence of the Lord, a priority in that home or the things of God spoken of. And I understand very well that some of you may come from a home where, you know, you may be the only Christian that's there or your spouse isn't a Christian or, you know, it is difficult. But you bring light to that home. And you continue to stand for the Lord. And you continue to give all that to the Lord. So what is valuable for us and what is the priority is that our homes, and particularly you parents that are Christians, that our homes has the presence of the Lord that is there and the peace of the Lord and the, uh, the ways of the Lord are being spoken of in that home. That's what makes a good home. That as he's going to go on and talk about security in her home, but let's continue on uh, in verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of its way is death. People can be sincere, but they can be sincerely wrong. And as I read this verse here, that there seems, 
you know, a way that's right to a man, but the end of its way is death, that so many people think that if I'm just a good person, I'm a sincere person, then I'm going to make it to heaven. I bet as if I was to ask you how many hands, how many people that you know, that you work with, other family members, or perhaps you go to school with, that really believe that if they're a good person, they're okay spiritually, that they're going to make it to heaven, that everything is going to be okay, that you know what, we, we, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe. And, and the increase of pluralism and universalism and we, uh, we all believe in a God is okay and, and just be a good person and all of this, they may be sincere in that. There seems to be a, a way that is right to a man, but the end of its way is death because we know the truth, right? That the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ and faith in him. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way or one of many ways. This Sunday, as we go through Luke's gospel, we're going to see that Jesus, six months out from the cross, he's there with his disciples. And he says to them as he's there at that place, Caesarea Philippi, he's there at that place called Pan. It's where the Greek and Roman you know, pantheons were. The, the idols were all there. They've excavated it. And there is Jesus in the backdrop of all these false gods, these idols. And he says, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? You see, he wasn't taking a poll. He wasn't worried about, oh no, now the crowds are beginning to leave. He's doing it for their sake. And we can ask a lot of people, who do you say that Jesus is? We can ask the world and we'll get all kinds of different answers. They were saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that, you know, you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And there are those who will come along and say, well, Jesus is just a good teacher. He's a, you know, great guru or, you know, uh, a philosopher, whatever it may be. He is the way. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you try to find your life, you're going to lose it. And if you lose your life, you're going you're to find it. And if you're going to be my disciple, it means to die to self, pick up your cross and follow after me. We're going to talk about all those things on Sunday. What does that mean for us? Because it's important for us to understand as Jesus didn't got personal with them and he would turn to him and said, okay, who do you say that I am? And every person has to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? And what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to die to self? Because what we're hearing about in the church today is a lot about self and to celebrate self and to think about self and it focuses around self and what's in it for self and the best of you and all of this. And it's not the way of the Lord. And if we have a message in the church of you need to celebrate self, And I understand they're saying you're unique and, you know, don't compare yourself to others. I understand that. But celebrate self. The Bible says we're to die to self. That means complete surrender to him. I can't save myself. There has to be the gospel message of we are lost and we are sinners in need of the Savior Jesus who went to that cross six months after Peter made that confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, 
the Christus, the Messiah we've been waiting for. The one who crushed the serpent's head. The one that spoke from the burning bush saying, I am that I am to Moses. He's the one that would come 69 weeks after the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, Daniel would say. He's the one that the prophets would speak about. The one that they had been waiting for. You're the Messiah. You're the Christus, the son of the living God. Who came and he said, okay guys, now you need to understand something. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die for the sins of humanity. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders. And I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And when they heard that, sparks were coming out of their ears. They didn't... It didn't compute with them. What do you mean? You're at the height of your popularity. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's going, not so, Lord. Because they were looking for the Messiah to come, the reigning Messiah. They were ready to crown him as king at that time and force to, you know, take him by force is what John's gospel says. And he dismisses the crowds. And he goes up there and he says, I'm going to die. So if you want to be my disciple... Then you die to self. You don't focus on self. It's not all about self. And dying to self means I'm surrendered to you, Lord. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. It doesn't mean we walk around all, you know, doom and gloom and, you know, kind of like the Eeyore kind of attitude. I don't know. I used to watch Winnie the Pooh with the kids. You know, hey, walk around, pours me and all of this. It means that I'm dead to self. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'll be real honest with you, and I've said this before. One way for me to really feel defeated and discouraged and even depressed is if I focus on me. I need to keep my focus on him and his goodness, and his mercy, and he's forgiven me, and his great love for me. And I just want to be broken before you, Lord. It's what it means to pick up your cross and follow after him. To be surrendered to him. That whatever you want, Lord, is not what I want, and it's all about me. It's about you. And I was created for your great pleasures, Revelation chapter 4 declares, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not that we're saved by works. He said that in Ephesians chapters 2, verses 8 and 9, after he told us we are spiritually dead, but God who is rich in mercy by his great love has made us alive through Christ. And we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gifts of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you were created to be his workmanship in Christ Jesus. You are a poem, his, his masterpiece. He desires to use you in such a unique way. And he's chosen you to be here in this generation at this time where there's more darkness and there's more deception and there's more confused people than ever before because he wants to use you to be a light to others. That should excite you should excite you that I get to serve the true and the living God who's the creator of everything, who's going to come and rule and reign, and we're going to rule and reign with him. 
And when we really make that our own, when we say, I'm going to die to self and to my thing, and I'm going to live for you, Christ, whatever you have for me, then you're going to see that your Christianity is going to blossom and it's going to bloom, and you're going to, to just be excited about being a Christian. Wherever the Lord has you, however he uses you, to be a light to others. So here, the verse that we're at, that there seems to be right to a man, but the end of its way is death. I really hope that as we're going through the scriptures that we're getting it. We're getting it in the day in which we're living in, in our self-consumed society that we live in, and even the church is starting to adopt, that there's a right way, and that is the Jesus way. And he is Lord and Savior. And I'm going to follow after you, Lord. So there's a way that seems right to a man. The end of its way is death. And even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. And the end of mirth may be grief. Or the end of of laughter may be grief. It's a little bit what we talked about in verse 10 here. um, As, you know, we can make fun of sin, make light of it. But there's hurt. And um, if you laugh at sin, it really tells your character. Do you know that? I think all of us, or at least a lot of us, that you've seen somebody kind of chuckle at sin and then you see their countenance just drops. Do you know why? Because they're hurting. You know, in the office break room or, you know, with the guys and, oh, you know, and they're, ha, 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 you know, and you're, and their countenance just drops and they turn away because they're hurting. Because they're hurting. Maybe they chuckled or something, just kind of to be with the guys or with the rest of the coworkers, but they're hurting. They're sorrow deep down. And that's what verse 13 is telling us. In verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. And the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. You know, we will desire to walk and live in godly wisdom. And we're to let God's wisdom determine our steps. That's what we're to do. And a wise man, in verse 16, fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. We've seen so many characteristics of the fool, the one who is impulsive, the one who returns to his folly, the one who is self-confident, very prideful. That's the way of a fool, and we're not to be that way. We are to be ones that we depart from evil. We're not to be one that's full of rage. We're not to be self-confident. We're to have confidence in the Lord. And verse 17 tells us, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. So the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's what the Scripture tells us. In other words, uh, that... Um, we are to be even-tempered. Anger will lead to all kinds of bad decisions. I think we know that, don't we? And that's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Give it to the Lord. And I tell married couples, you know, I've seen it happen because I've done a lot of counseling. 
the couples that go to bed, you know, with each other night after night after night, and they let the sun go down in their wrath, and it leads to difficult decisions and bad decisions. So Christian moms and dads and husbands and wives, make sure that you're praying about things. You may not be able to settle things that night, but you're praying about it, and you're going to continue to seek the Lord's will and way. But for any area of our lives, whether it's in marriage or whether it's with a job or whether it's in relationships with, with anyone, families and friends, whatever it might be, we don't want to make decisions out of anger because we end up making bad decisions when we do that. And so verse 18 tells us the simple inherit folly. The simple here, what it means is a knucklehead, all right? The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with, with uh, knowledge. And the evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. We need to remember that the wicked will not prevail. Remember Psalm 73, that the Psalm of Asaph, that he said it seemed like, as he's just crying out to the Lord, it seems like the wicked is getting away with things. It seems like they flourish. It seems like no one, you know, uh, cares about it, and God doesn't care. He, he's really struggling. He says it was too painful for me to even, to even think about it until I went into the sanctuary, the house of the Lord, and I understood that the inner their way is destruction. That's why it's important for us to be here because we can be out in the world and we think, how can that person get away with it? How can you know they practice wickedness? It seems like they get away with all that stuff. Listen, they're not getting away with it because God's word declares it. They are not getting away with it. And soon it will come to light. And if they don't repent and turn to the Lord, the end of their way is destruction. So don't think that the wicked is getting away with anything. They're not. And then in verse uh, 20, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. And he who despises his neighbor's sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And so the world may look down on the poor. Matter of fact, I've even heard... You know, preachers on TV, I remember one well-known that said being poor is a curse. The prosperity teachers that come along. And we need to keep in mind what God's word has to say here. And God has a special place in his heart for the widow and for the orphan, for the stranger and for the poor. And Jesus himself was poor. You know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, is what Jesus said. And the only thing that he owned, the creator of the universe, was the very clothes on his back. And when they crucified him, and as he was on that cross, they, they stripped him naked, and then they took and they rolled dice for his clothes. And they particularly were rolling dice for the big prize, his outer garment, his coat. And the one who would win it, probably it was worth something. He could sell it and get some money. God has a very special place in his heart for the poor. We need to remember that much of the world is very, very poor. And God loves those people. And we should desire to help those in need, not look down on them. You see, they're important to God. And people can be a respecter of God, but God is not a respecter of people. 
And he has a special place for them in his heart and for those who are downcast and those who are in need. So we need to make sure that we keep a proper perspective and see people the way that God sees them. And verse 22, they do not go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. So as Jesus said in a sermon on the mount, in the sermon of the plateaus we saw in Luke's gospel, that we're to be merciful as your father in heaven is merciful. He's merciful to us. Isn't he so merciful? In verse 23, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. In other words, um, just talking won't get it done. There's a time to do it, right? You've got to roll up your sleeve and you've got to get it done. Remember Moses? When the chariots are about ready to come on top of them and they're backed up against the Red Sea and the people are crying out, Moses! And Moses said, you know, look up and see the salvation of the Lord. No longer are you going to see the Egyptian chariots. And then the Lord said, Moses, quit talking. Open up the sea and get going. And I kind of chuckle at that, you know, because Moses is given these words of encouragement, but apparently he kept talking. And the Lord finally said, Moses, time to get going. Lift that staff up and, you know, and part the Red Sea and let's get going across. There's a time when, you know, we can talk about things and talk about things, but then there's a time to do it in our lives, isn't it? We can talk about what we need to do with our families, with our kids, in ministry, but there is a time where we know what God wants us to do and we need to move forward in it. And we need to, to not just talk about it. The crown of the wise is their riches, verse 24, but the foolishness of fools is folly. So wisdom is very valuable, isn't it? And it's something that we should seek to have. And a witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies, verse 25. Again, we are to give life. We are to give life. That, that, that saying, a true witness delivers souls, it literally means saves lives is what it does. And you and I are a true witness of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came and died for you and he loves you. And he wants to save you as he forgives you. And he wants to bring you into relationship with a father that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. We have a message of, of life to others. You see, after the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about, there was the crowds that came and met Jesus in John chapter 6. And Jesus said, you're only coming because you're hungry again. You need to come and believe in the bread of life. That's me that came from heaven. And, and I am the bread of life that came from heaven. And whoever believes in me shall never hunger and thirst again. And he's talking about relationship and fellowship with him. And, and the people are going, huh? You know, where's, where's our sub sandwiches? You know, we're, we're hungry right now. And they began to leave. They began to leave. What we saw on Sunday, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. And now he begins to talk to them about true fellowship and relationship and believing in him and coming eat and drink of me. And they said, this is too hard for us. And they began to leave. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, you want to go with them? And Peter said something so, so wonderful. He said, where would we go? We have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life to give to others. Do you know that? 
Where are people going for their hope? They're going in all kinds of different directions and looking at that which is not hope. You have the words of eternal life to give to others, to be able to give a message, be a witness that delivers souls. We get the privilege to be able to do that. And I pray that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Lord in that. That the Lord does love you and he died for you and he is your hope. He's our only hope that there is. To be able to to save souls with the gospel that is the power to change a person's life, to bring forgiveness and a new creation in Christ. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, verse 26 tells us, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So I, I, I pray this place is always a refuge for you. It's always a refuge for you. That, that there is life here. A fountain of life. That there is words that are given as we go through the scriptures and comfort. I pray that this is a place of refuge and that your home is as well. And for our children here. Our children need that. We all need that, that place, right? Where there's the fountain of life. Where we can present Jesus. And remember that he's the one that said, if you thirst, come to me. And drinking out of your life, you know, belly will flow torrents of living water. In verse 28, in a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in a lack of people is a downfall of a prince. So uh, pretty self-explanatory. A king is strong when the people support him, but weak if they don't. In verse 29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Again, be slow to anger, not impulsive. Don't just without forethought. You know, that's why we need to take a deep breath. We need to really think about what we're going to say. Lord, help me not to react out of anger. We know that Paul would write in Colossians and in Ephesians, listen, you're a new man, you're a new woman. Put away the old man, the old woman. Put off anger and wrath and malice and those things, right? Bitterness, envy, jealousies, put those things away. And that you're to put on what? Kindness and gentleness, love, long-suffering. That's what we're to put on. Put away the former lusts. Uh, you know, the, the, the way of the world. And now you are to put on Christ. That's what you and I are to do. So anger, don't let the anger get the best of you. And we all get angry, don't we? But don't be making decisions and blowing up and all of this. Help, ask the Lord to help. Lord, help me. I want to be slow to wrath. I want to have understanding. I don't want to be impulsive because it's going to lead to bad decisions. And a sound heart, verse 30, is a life to the body. And but envy is rottenness to the bones. Listen, you've seen it, I've seen it. When somebody is envious and bitter and full of jealousies, it will, it will just rotten your soul. It just really will hurt you. If you have envy and jealousies and bitterness, and that's why you got to give it to the Lord. Because it really affects you spiritually. It was Saul that 
Remember that he started out well as the king of Israel, and then David became his armor bearer. Saul began to focus on himself, and, and he was rejected as king, and David was anointed king, and he became you know, Saul's armor bearer. And Saul could see that God's hand was on David, and it tells us that he would watch David, and he became very jealous of David, and then he wanted David dead. And just the destruction that that jealousy and envy did to Saul in his life, that his life ended up in a terrible way. And he died in a terrible way because he was full of envies and jealousies and bitterness. He was a bitter man. He was a bitter man. I just want to say this. There's no reason for any of us to be jealous or envious of anyone. Because God has made you, and you are unique. And he has something for you to do that only you can do. And he loves you, and he wants to use you. There's no reason for any of us to be jealous or envious of anyone or anything. And yet we can do that. They become bitter, you know, in life. And that's why it's important that we forgive. That's why it's important that, that we ask the Lord for help. Lord, bring healing to this hurt. And Lord, I don't want to be envious. I don't want to be jealous of that person or, you know, their position or what they have or their ministry even. Because the Lord loves you. And if you go through life in bitterness, envy, and jealousies, there's just going to be rottenness that's going to happen to your bones, to your soul is what's going to happen. It'll eat you up. God doesn't want that for your life. In verse 31, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. So again, uh, talking about how important the poor is to the Lord. And the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. The wicked will not enter eternity with the Lord. And wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, verse 33. But what is in the heart of fools is made known. In other words, use wisdom in what you do and what you say, but a fool's going to shoot off his mouth and do foolish things, and he's going to end up being known as a fool. He's going to make himself known. Because he continues to do foolish things and say foolish things. In verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Boy, this is a word to us, isn't it now? That righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace is what it means, a shame to any people. The sins of our nation. And during this election time is we're what? Just almost about five weeks away from our next election and voting for our new leaders and stuff, we need to pray for our nation. Our nation needs to humble. We need to humble ourselves, and we need to seek God, and we need to repent. That's the hope for our nation. That's what's going to make America great once again, as we turn back to the Lord. And so we need to be in that place of praying, because righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace, a shame to any people. And the king's favor is towards a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. So closing the, the chapter here, uh, we are to be wise and we're to be faithful. 
you know, and his favor is towards the wise and faithful servant. And that's the commandment of the Lord, isn't it? The day in which we're living in, you be the wise and faithful servant, Jesus said. You be wise because you know the scriptures and you're applying it. You believe God's word. And as you believe God's word, you're desiring to live it and be faithful every day. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. And you be looking. That's also watching, Jesus would include. Be watching for him because the Lord's going to come back. And you have favor with the Lord. And we get to rule and reign with him. So what a wonderful future that we have. So continue to be wise. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be watching. Because the Lord's coming back. He's coming back very soon. And he's going to establish his nation, a holy nation, a kingdom that's going to last forever, and we get to be a part of that. And so I pray, I kind of see this is kind of boot camp right now for us. Boot camp because we are going to be serving the Lord for all eternity. We get to rule and reign with him in the new kingdom. Can't wait for that to happen. So let's learn God's way, and let's put our trust in him, and let's walk in that wisdom that he desires to give to us. So, Father, we thank you so much for today's lesson. And maybe we didn't get as far as we wanted to, but so many things to consider here. And, Lord, your word is so good. I don't know if I did any help in commenting on these verses, but, Lord, your word will not return void. It will not. And, Lord, I know that you, I'm sure, spoke to your people in different ways, in different situations, but I pray that all of us are encouraged and blessed tonight. I thank you for us being here and going through this book of wisdom. So help us in what we say and how we behave in our conduct and our relationships and how we work, all those different things. Help us to be wise. Help us to be ones that we desire to gain understanding just as we're told the wise and prudent person does. That we want to know you. And Lord, not go our own way. Not be impulsive, full of anger, jealousies, and bitterness, and, and being envious. Not wanting to, to be humbled, but being prideful. We don't want to go that way. So Lord, we thank you for tonight and for your word. And thank you for the people that have come out for this Bible study. And Lord, may we be a true witness in saving souls. That's the wise person. And I pray that tonight, if there's anyone that happens to be here listening to this message, that you've never really truly given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your life. He is eternal life. He's the author of eternal life. He's the way to eternal life is by faith and trust in Him. And if you want to know about that, as we close the service, I want you to come up and talk with me because I want to share that with you. I want to share the gospel with you. I want to minister to you. Don't go away wondering or questioning. Jesus went to a cross because He loves you. So, Father, I thank you for this night. I pray you just bless our time of fellowship now. As we go home the rest of our week, we look forward to gathering again this weekend and what you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God is good. Would you please stand?